This is the Wheelhouse podcast, uh, easily digestible, mostly factual. The world's in Wollongong continue, and it's very, very exciting to be coming to you with a bit of the action so far. Before anything else, I want to say a big hello to a digital Kate Bates, who's not here. Uh, You're south, aren't you, Kate? I am. I've been amongst the action. It's pretty exciting, Joel. I've got to say, when I first drove into Wollongong for the first day uh, of competition, I was, you know, I hadn't had my coffee yet. I was feeling like a bit, oh, this is going to be a big week ahead. I was already tired before the event kicked off. And then I got goosebumps and I needed a bit of a favour to find some parking. And uh, the first person I stopped volunteer, mind you, uh, to get to move a fence. And it was my former national coach in uh, the women's team, James Victor. And I was like, this is cool. I said to him, I didn't imagine to see you in a volunteer t-shirt. And he said, I just wanted to be involved in it. And I think that kind of sets the mood for me for the whole thing. If you've ever met anybody in Australian cycling, if you go to Wollongong, you'll see them again. It's like long lost <laughs> reunions happening everywhere, Joel. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and some exciting action on the track as well. Plenty more to come. We're going to get into that. Uh, but also also on this episode, a little bit later on, we've teamed up with Decision Inc. Now, data and analytics is the order of the day. We're going to crunch some numbers and use some AI to basically find out if it's true. If, the, if Kate's worst fears are confirmed... And machines can out-tip experts. I'm really, really fascinated to hear how this all works and how they work out their rankings, what riders they're preferring and why. And obviously talking about variables on the day because as we've seen it so far in Wollongong, anything can happen and does happen. I'm looking forward to that chat. That's coming up a little bit later on. Are you feeling secure, Kate, ahead of that chat? Can I just ask? Episode 12 and you're already trying to get rid of me for a machine. Does, does the machine wear a wig? I mean, I'm feeling, yes, I'm feeling a little bit insecure at this point, Joel. Uh, but, you know, we do trust the people over at Decision Inc and uh, Click who have put this all together. I think it's pretty fascinating. We'll get stuck into that a bit later. Uh, but we've got to, we've got to dive in yeah. to some of the unexpecteds because if they reckon they can predict a whole lot, I think this week has shown there's a lot even the experts can't predict. It goes out the window, and it did. It did straight away the first Norwegian to win a time trial, I believe, in, in any category for the elite men's. Is that right? Tob- Tobias Foss, the Norwegian dream. Now, I've taken to calling him the pride of Vingram. Um, <laughs> now, you, we might be able to workshop that a bit, but what a massive moment. And, you know, just quickly, you know what I love yeah. about this? He shocked everyone, no more so than the Norwegian media who didn't send a big yes. contingent to Wollongong thinking, why bother? It's a long way away, costs a bit of cash, won't be anything to get too excited about. Now they're sitting there going, oh, no. Oh, what, are we, what have oh, we dear. done? What have we done? <laughs> what a moment. Are you now uh, working for Norwegian media when you're coming down to Wollongong, Joel? Is I'm, I'm going to have to. Yeah, I'm just, I've, I've sent him an email to say, I got you guys. It's all good, just in case he backs <laughs> yes. it up and the medals keep flowing. But what a ride, Kate Bates. Oh, sensational. I mean, I think everything else went mostly to plan uh, for all of the other riders we thought, but Tobias Foss, it was just one of those innocent moments because you know what? There was not a lot of pressure on him there. That changes now. That Mm, is the mm. last time he'll ever be able to ride under those conditions because from now on, he'll either be the reigning world time trial champion, the former world time trial champion, and nobody's going to underestimate him uh, like they have so far. 
But the interesting thing, and this is a slight on people in my role as experts, he was top 10 at the Giro last year. Yeah. So he's no shrug. You yeah. know, it's not as though he's not capable. Uh, he just hasn't really poked his head up in the way that we imagined. He's so, been up there. there he's go. been there or thereabouts in time trials this year as well, like hovering around the top 10. Did a ride in Quebec as but, well, I believe. Yeah. And look, it's you know what's interesting about that, Joel, is that he says in his post-race interview that one of the reasons he felt quite confident going out there uh, is because he did well in, in Quebec and Montreal. And I thought, huh, I looked at the results there and I didn't notice him. So I went back and had a look and he was 44th was mm. his best result. So what I find interesting from that is that obviously it, it isn't about where he finished, but about how he felt uh, in the race and what he was able to achieve. And, and so I think that that kind of highlights the difference between a time trial and a road race the time trial, you know, what do they say? It's the simplest race that's not easy. You know, it, it is just who is the strongest on the day. And honestly, until World Champs Day, there's a little bit of guesswork involved. Only yeah. you know, like you know your own numbers. And uh, he, look, he put his stuff up on Strava, Joel. Um, so he's not shy about sharing uh, what he's up and up and about. But I like him though. I think he's like, uh, he could be our new mascot. Oh, there you go. Yeah. The pride of Ingram. Look, I I love it because he, he's one of those athletes. He took a bit of time out a few years ago uh, from the sport, just got away from the peloton altogether, refreshed, came back, uh, unassuming, humble, all of those things. I really like it. We were speaking about the turns last week. It's a, it's more turns than a circle. This course, it comes down to execution (laughs) on the day. He, he just, he got it all right, and some of the more fancy chances, we'll, we'll get into it a bit later, but the likes of Ghana didn't. And we saw mechanical issues for the likes of Hayter, things like that as well. This guy just got out there and got the business done, and I think uh, credit to him, and he did it. I think he's the pride of Norway, no doubt there, but I think everyone there loves Aussies, love an underdog. We always do. It doesn't matter what sport. So I'm sure the atmosphere on the ground would have been electric when this guy upset everyone, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Wollongong is uh, really loving the Norwegian vibe at the moment uh, because, of course, in the under-23s, Joel, they backed it up. Um, saw a Warrenschold. Try oh, saying that. I, uh, okay. With a full of marvels. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually had to turn to um, a specialist uh, Twitter account that he's doing pronunciations of names, uh, and I can tell you that after that day, came up on my feed. It's like it had been listening to me try and pronounce it all day. Uh, yeah. But even the uh, World Feed commentators said it about six different times. I, look, I had it wrong. I think I they had, were probably yeah. getting messages. <laughs> I had Varensheld. I, I just, I'm, I shouldn't have even said that. It's too late now. It's out there. No, sort of, that's say it one actually more time. one of the Varenschold. Varenschold. is what okay. I believe. So Varenschold I, is one of the false my ones. My face would look very funny looking <laughs> saying that. I'm trying very hard. I love I got it. it. I'm trying very hard. I do think that we were like having a bit of a pre-giggle at what the European commentators might be up against. Maybe they heard our episode, Joel, and were yeah. like, ha, ah, yeah. we'll get you, Yeah, Kate you, you just You just we'll wait. teach you. Yeah. You just wait, you Bates. Just wait. Uh, a little bit of sadness uh, yes, but- on his as well. Uh, the head head coach, Hans Volk, not present a few days ago. It was announced that he's been diagnosed with acute leukaemia. So a little bit of emotion tinged to that result for Soren Vorenschold as well. 
It, yeah, there was. And they both of the Norwegians came out and said that they were sending their thoughts to him that he was in the hospital, uh, but sending the messages and watching. Uh, and for them, they knew that he was going through a very distinct uh, physical and mental battle at the moment. And, and they just felt like out on course, the only way to honour him and to do the right thing was to also uh, put themselves through a bit of a physical and mental uh, barrier. And uh, I really respect that. And I love that. And um, to go to a slightly lighter moment, because Joel, these press conferences can be wild or the mix zones, <laughs> like when they just come off the podium, like sometimes they're just uh, talking in all directions. So straight after uh, he talked about um, his coach, and that was a beautiful tribute, yeah. um, we then found out that the reason he started cycling in the first place uh, is because he has apparently a very strong love for ice creams yes. and uh, was putting on a few, not even COVID kilos, just kilos, uh, because of all the ice cream he was eating and uh, got punted onto the bike for perhaps a little bit of fitness and health. I love so there that. You go. I think his, his mum or someone yeah. was saying, yeah, look, you can have your ice cream. You've got to ride 10 or 15 kilometres to get it, but it's <laughs> to all get yours. It. Yes. Yeah. What a cool Exactly. Cat. I love that. That's fantastic. Well, and I've been, I, like I, I must admit, I've been multitasking a little bit in the broadcast trying to find out facts about these riders that, you know, we'll be honest, none of us heavily researched. Uh, and so I typed in my com into my computer um, Wollongong, uh, and Norway and Viking because I thought, <laughs> you know, who knows what might come up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the, the Wollongongians, I think that's what we've decided to call them, uh, are loving these Norwegians. And there's a lot of Norwegian fans out on course, I might add. Yeah. Uh, and apparently not only is the local rugby club called uh, the Wollongong Vikings. Yes, of course. So yeah. there's that. But they have a festival um, every four or five years where about four or 500 locals descend into the local forest, uh, dress up like Vikings, you can't make this stuff up, uh, dress up like Vikings and spend a weekend, a long weekend, living like the Vikings. Yeah. They're, they're, so they're, there you go. It's, it's extraordinary. There's 600 of them. They're recreating uh, battles and lifestyle from Europe between 400 and 1100 AD. So there you go. I, I'm torn so up. There you go. The organisers say basically sometimes we're perceived as eccentrics. It's like, oh, are you? Wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> My thing is, oh. if the Peloton or any kind of pro elite rider on a modern futuristic bike rode past and they're committing to this time period of 400 to 1100 AD, they will really freak out because they <laughs> this technology didn't exist in those times. What's going to happen there? I don't know. I'm wondering if they'll um, have a forest party for them, perhaps. <laughs> That's a good idea. Curious. I Rat mean, party. we're down there on uh, on the weekend, Joel, so perhaps uh, we, we can investigate um, the Vikings in the forest. Oh, you know I would be there. I'm, I'm a Norseman at heart. <laughs> I, I would be right in the thick of it. It's, it's, it's great to see, though, and maybe that Norwegian pride and that little bit of that, just that energy in the air is what's helping uh, the likes of Tobias and Soren... Uh, Soar to great heights in Wollongong. Now, speaking of soaring back to great heights on the Wheelhouse podcast, my name's Joel Spreadborough. Catherine Bates is here digitally. Uh, although I should say your cardboard cutout is also here. It's a little bit freaky. I'm sort of going between eye lines of the actual you and the fake. Anyway, <laughs> now your mate, your great mate, Ellen Van Dyke. Now talk about whew, roaring into contention. She didn't make our picks last uh, recently, but gee, whew. Try stopper. 
Try Stopper. I'm so it, just a brilliant ride. Like it, I, I almost wanted to say it was a dominant ride, but it, it wasn't actually. She only won by twelve point six seconds, which over thirty four kilometers uh, is not a whole lot. Uh, she beat. Aussie Grace Brown, who also had a brilliant ride. Uh, but this is the third one for Ellen. We've had Johnny Longo has won five in history of the individual uh, time trials at world championship level in the elites. Until this year, there were a whole spate of riders who were, were on two victories apiece. Now Ellen is on three, so she kind of moves herself up into second in the history books overall there but just the joy on her face and the happiness uh you know like a really satisfying victory for her and for anybody who is a fan of her and that is me uh definitely but she posted a, a great photo afterwards joel where she was looking down at her medal um and she said the moment i was wishing it was a chocolate medal. as is her right you know what so, she's won enough as is she deserves right. a chocolate medal if she wants a chocolate medal yeah, uh, there are some strong like ice cream chocolate kind of vibes going on here from the gold medalists. So, uh, you know, community service, any local providers, get it out to uh, to the teams. They're after some treats. A real pack of sweet tooths, aren't they? And, and look, it's good to see a member of the Trident do well. You know how much I love the Trident. Um, ex extraordinary. Your trident, yes. But your mate, Gracie Brown, <laughs> extraordinary effort too. Second fastest gal in town. Um, sat on the throne for quite a yep. while. That's been a bit of a trend as well in the, in the TT. She sat there and um, she sat there. <laughs> Hold on. Sat on the throne for quite a while. I'm just going to pull you up there, I call Joel. it a it's throne. A no, no. I'm, I'm it's a hot seat. I should have mentioned, yeah, I've, I've adopted throne. I, I want it to be, it's a throne. Oh. And they get dethroned. Or they get crowned. Oh yeah, I see that. Uh, it's just where I come from. You're thinking of a toilet, for yeah. Car oh, come on, Joel. I was going with innuendo, not actual <laughs> crassness. But Sorry. all right, if you've taken us there. But yes, she, I reckon it's a record, possibly. I think it was for about three hours that she was sitting wow. uh, in said hot seat slash throne. Mm. She was in. She was pretty good natured actually. And as it came toward the back end, uh, she was all smiles and um, her eyes were light because. Her goal was to get top three. Her dream was to win. Uh, and she said afterwards, I've achieved my goal. Now I can chase my dream. And I love that. I think that's so cool. I think what an inspiration. It's the best result Australia has had since 1999 when Anna Millwood wow. uh, got the s silver medal as well. We haven't ever won it. So I think if anybody can, Grace Brown is our girl moving forward. Uh, so we will keep a hot eye on that. Uh, but sensational result. Good way to open the championships for the uh, Aussies and the fans too. It was massive. It was massive. Now, I, 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 I can't help – another humble champion. We'll talk about statues of Grace Brown and all that kind of thing later because it will be a thing. But I, I just had to say I couldn't help but notice the suits, uh, the TT suits. They're rather flash, Kate Bates. They are very flash. I mean, I, I know that you put up uh, – on our socials this week, a beautiful video of yourself uh, going from transitioning between outfits, from the dressing gown to the Broncos jersey to the beautiful Chances kit. I did have a question about that though. Were they like your different iterations of riding kit? Did you yeah. start in the dressing gown? Yes, I used when to ride in my gown. Yes, yeah. I learned the hard oh, way good. that chains and dressing gown robe ropes don't don't co assimilate whatever the word i'm looking for no there. They don't no work together. and, the, and uh, the locals weren't too pumped about that uh, but <laughs> that kit that you got yeah. uh, it's beautiful but even that is not specific enough for a time trial so um champs actually have 
uh, one of the teams in the World Championships, Hong Kong, they, they're providing uh, that attire for. Um, and so I asked the questions because I thought I knew it all. But things have changed a lot in the last decade since I've been off the bike. Um, they've got this really special material uh, on the shoulders that is aerodynamic and it's all about fit, uh, you know, long sleeve and as close to the knee as possible. There's UCI regulation where you're not allowed to wear long legs. Um, you know, think kind of Kathy Freeman, Sydney 2000 kind of outfit. Yep. You're not allowed to wear that. And so they're within um, some constraints around that. But I understand that the different fabrics around the shoulders and arms where the air surface is hitting and then also the chest. Um, so they're constantly testing fabrics uh, and rejigging all of that. And also the fit Joel. Uh, so these are so tight when you put them on uh, that honestly, if you are already sweaty or something, you can't even get them on. And when you take them off, they look like they shouldn't fit an adult, uh, but they stretch beautifully and become one with the skin. And uh, you notice that on a lot of the riders that there's a seamless transition from the fabric um, to the body. And that is the whole point. It's really cool. I mm. mean, we, I think we need to challenge is we need to get you in a skin suit now. Oh, come on now. Not just Nixon that, jersey. That video referred, it was very symbolic, retiring the Broncos jersey from my riding kit. But uh, it's extraordinary the technology that goes into these. Um, it, it truly is. It so, is. And apparently also in Wollongong, Joel, it hasn't been that hot. It's only been around 20 to 21 degrees. But the Europeans have been saying that out on course, when there is no coastal breeze and uh, – there's no trees over the road, that they're all getting really, really hot and they're finding the conditions uh, quite overwhelming. And so it's really important that they've also got pretty breathable kit mm. on and stuff um, as well. And they've been warming up with ice vests. So, uh, you know, another advantage for the Aussies. We yeah. don't think 21 degrees is <laughs> it's too warm at all. No, definitely. So. Most definitely not on the Wheelhouse <laughs> podcast. It's fascinating to hear about all of the tech, but I want to have a quick nod, if I may. Uh, history being made left, right and centre in Wollongong for the first time uh, gold and rainbows dished out for the under-23 uh, women's. Uh, Victoria Guadenza. I, I've, had a, I've had a go there. Guadenza? Victoria Guadenza? How would I go? You're, you're not. You're shaking your Guidenza, head. Guidenza. Guidenza. Okay. I think same. Yeah, that's okay. good. No, that's good. I Shout think out. actually, who knew? The Italians, their names are proving quite easy for us, aren't they? No, uh, sensational ride for her. Uh, she won the first ever under 23 world championship for women uh, in the time trial. Yep. She also came top five in the elite. So she had an exceptionally good day out there. But it just reminds us there's been all this debate about uh, giving the women a division on their own and an individual race versus a medal. I can tell you on the podium, Joel, None of that mattered to her. She was the under-23 world champion and absolutely lapping it up. So um, I'm pretty pumped that that is on. And so also in the elite women road race, we'll have the under-23s competing in the same race, but for their own uh, jersey and medal. It's, wow, wow, how, how, it, how the sport evolves. And, and while we're on the, the, the theme of shout-outs, I, I must, uh, must include another Aussie. Uh, so silver medal... To Hamish McKenzie, um, under-19s, massive talent. He's from Launceston, by the way, so I'm going to throw it out there now. The next Richie Port, you heard it here first. He <laughs> he also spent an extraordinary amount of time on the, on the throne. I think he was pretty early out. He was like fourth? I, I might be wrong, but he was pretty early out. Sat up there until, yeah. until Josh Tarling, the favourite, scorched it. 
Yes, I think from memory he went off at like one forty-seven, and then uh, Tarling went off at four twenty-eight, um, and so there was a very solid time um, sitting on that. He had no expectation of winning. He had an outside expectation of a top five, hoped for a top ten. Uh, so it was brilliant, like incredible result from him. And I love the juniors, like the junior burgers from Australia. Uh, and just to clear up that terminology, Joel, that's how they're affectionately of course, uh, called yeah. within the sport, junior burgers. Uh, they haven't been really competing internationally very much lately because uh, of COVID and border restrictions and whatnot. Uh, so internationally, they're a bit of an unknown. We knew that Tarling was the hot favourite coming in. He's already been signed uh, for the next three years by Ineos. Like he's on everybody's radar. Uh, but Hamish McKenzie mm. is on less radars mm -hmm. until now. Until now. Uh, fantastic. Yes. And uh, he's looked after uh, by Hank Vogels at ARA Pro Racing Sunshine Coast. Uh, so shout out to the mob up on the Sunshine Coast. They've done an incredible job of developing uh, these athletes. And in fact, uh, Cam Rogers, who was the second best Aussie, he was with them uh, until recently as well. They've got a really good track record of um, getting their riders off to the pro ranks. You're hearing it here now, Joel. Watch this space. Hamish McKenzie is going to get picked up um, by the end of the championships. There's my hot prediction. Got a team tip? Where, where's he going to go? He did. Apparently, he has been um, linked to Yumbo Visma in oh, terms of they it. have been sniffing around <laughs> him. Um, that would be – that's a bit creepy, isn't it? That was a great dramatisation. That would be <laughs> – <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, reenactment, dramatisation. Yumbo have been out. sniffing about. Yeah, love it. I think that would be a great fit for him. And uh, given his time trialling ability, we know that they love their time trialers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you can't go to Ineos where Tarling's going, then Yumbo would be my next choice for him. Well, uh, not sure. I get it. Do I get a say? But you know, I'll give him a ring. They're all your mates. Just say, look, mum, dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give him a quick ring. So, yeah, I'm a cousin of Jonas. You, you might have heard of me. Uh, all of that. Right. I, I, honestly, what the battles that will unfold, Tarling with Ineos, because he signed that recently, if if Hamish ends up with, with someone like Yama, that's great. That's the, the future of the sport. Very, very exciting. This is the Wheelhouse podcast. Uh, the Rainbow Editions continue to come your way. I'm very, very excited about this. We've been teasing you. We've been taunting you with it all episode. Uh, the, the, the ultimate question can AI and machines outpredict the experts? Human versus machines, it's all come to the crunch. And I'd like to introduce a very special guest to help resolve the debate. Uh, Aidan Heck, CEO for uh, Australian CEO for Decision Inc., uh, Data Analytics Technology Consultancy. Great slogan, by the way. Do great with data, Aidan. That's what it's all about. Thanks for joining the wheelhouse, mate. Pleasure, Joel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm going to begin at the beginning. Now, Kate Bates is here as well. She'll ask the much more technical and interesting questions. But I just, I just want to start by, why the interest? Why, why cycling and analytics, Aidan? Uh, I mean, it's a perfect match, Joel. You know, I'm, I've always been a bit of a sports fan and a sport, sports fanatic, I guess, and participated. And as I've got older, I've realised that I need uh, to find an edge somewhere. And it turns out the data is part of that story. And, you know, the more you bring it together, you know, the easier it is to perhaps, you know, slightly improve your own performance. Um, and in a lot of sports, it's, it's still untouched. You know, there's still, still so much potential out there. Uh, and you'll get a bit of a feeling for that as we go through this conversation, you know, today, John. 
Um, Aiden, I'm a little bit concerned for my job here uh, because Joel reckons if these machines do what they're supposed to, that my job as an expert uh, might go out the window. Uh, so to help me feel just a little bit better, can you talk us through like the artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, cool. So um, apologies to anyone who's an expert in this field. I'll try and keep it super simple. Um, machine learning is where we've got you know, machines, computers, that take big amounts of data. The bigger the data, the longer the history of the data, the better the chances are that the machine is going to be able to find patterns uh, and predictions that then helps drive some sort of insight or, or prediction to use that data. So machine learning is sort of looking at all that data at scale. Um, and if you look at uh, artificial intelligence, that normally taps on the end of it. So it takes away the decision making and it helps look at all of those choices and goes, okay, what's the best possible answer that's, that we can do here? Okay, great, let's, let's make that choice. Um, so the, the really easy example is uh, Google Maps. So if you think about you getting your car in the morning and you say, right, I wanna to go to wherever I wanna to go to, Google Maps will give you three or four choices. It'll give you a view on what's the fastest out option. That's machine learning, right? That's in real time going, okay, that's the machine telling me what my choices are. Um, if you've got a Tesla and it's connected to your calendar, you get in your car and it'll already have done those choice options for you and it will have plugged in the best possible answer for you and have the route map ready to go. Now that's artificial intelligence. You don't even need to think, just remember your coffee and you're, you're ready and ready to go. Now, if I think about Kate and, and how do we replace Kate, Joel? I mean, I think we should open up that debate. For hey actually. now. <laughs> Kate, just, work, just take your headphones off for just a sec, if you don't mind. <laughs> It's interesting yeah, so though. It's, on the... you know, it, oh. it's, um, it's, it's sorry, Joe, and it's you know it's interesting that a lot of the work that we do, um, the expert, sorry, Joel, but the expert is still needed because you need somebody who understands the type of data that needs to go into the machine, and then there's got to be a decision ultimately um, that comes out of the back end of it. And often you're left with some choices. You know, it's very unusual that there's just one clear cut answer. And uh, the exercise that we've done for the UCI Champs, you'll see that, and then we can talk through some of that. So I think, you know, Kate's still safe at least another six months, 12 months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's now. good to know. Look, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I want Kate around uh, forever on the Wheelhouse podcast. Aiden Heck is the CEO of Australia for Decision Inc. We're chatting about data, analytics, and Kate Bates' job security uh, at the moment. <laughs> now, I, I want to hear about your predictive model for the world, Aiden, if you don't mind. Can you explain? To us, I'm really interested in what you're saying about AI programming best routes. I'm used to doing it on Google Maps, avoiding tolls. One day, maybe the riders can even avoid magpies. You could you could program in hotspots and <laughs> predict flight patterns, that kind of thing. But I'm sure that's not there yet. Can you explain a little bit about the model in use for the worlds? Yeah, yeah, of course. The way that we've done it, um, I guess it's important actually to draw a distinction between men's and women's. And um, one of the things that we found interesting is that the the data that's available there's about 40% less data available for the women's races than there is for the men's. And that's because less races, um, and some of the races haven't been going for as long. So some of the classics that we used as inputs. But ultimately what we need to do for the model is we go and we look at all of the different types that we call them attributes. Um, so whether that's, uh, it can be as random as how many race days they do. It can be how many times they place, it could be UCI points. Um, we use pro cycling stats, they're a great partner for us and they have a, an amazing wealth of information. So we build a model that gives us all of the different attributes of a rider. Okay, so all of those things are all plugged in. And in this particular case, there was something like 96 different attributes. 
Now, what the machine does is it looks at it and goes, okay, which of those attributes is the most meaningful? And it gives a view on what is the perfect attribute fit to win the race. And then it looks across all of the different riders and their attributes and goes, okay, which is the riders that best match the right attributes to win the race? So a lot of work goes into making sure that you get the right attributes and the machine's constantly learning when it's looking at all of those attributes and it's trying to figure out um, what is the best combination. And you also have to classify riders into groups as well, which is tricky because there's not a lot of data compared to a normal model that we would use. All of that comes out and we have a, a set of choices around an algorithm, which is basically a fancy word for a calculation. Uh, we run, in this case, we ran six different calculations and we looked at which of those calculations gave us the best prediction. And it gives you an accuracy score at the back end of it for both the men's and the women's. And then that eventually gives us a list of our top 10 riders and the probabilities of them winning the race. Um, I sound, make that sound super simple. It's actually a lot of work when it comes to getting the data to look nice and perfect and rolled up. And, and we were very lucky because ProCycling stats have been around for so long. Their data, my data scientist was in love some of their data because it was so beautiful and so easy to work with. But fundamentally, we look to build the perfect race attributes. We then look at the attributes that are available and then we match the riders with the perfect attributes to what's going to win the race. Um, and then just a couple of things we did as well is we played around with some of those inputs. Um, so we ran a general model. And what I mean by that is all of those attributes I talked about, we ran all those across all the riders and we came out with a prediction. And it was, it was interesting because there was about 10 riders that were between 26% probability of placing and 15%. And it was all the names you would expect. Okay, so that's um, a sort of a general model. Then what we did is added in another five attributes that were specific to Wollongong. Okay, so we went and looked at things that would make a difference to how you would predict on the back of the attributes of the Wollongong race, how hard it's going to be, the course, all of those sorts of things. And amazingly, it just zoned down to three riders, top three, and then a whole bunch of a smaller tail. And those riders, some surprises actually, and the names that were pulled out for those, uh, those top three riders. Oh, okay. That, that excites me. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm also really interested in all of the different data points because I'm wondering, um, you know, especially Joel's a bit of a cycling convert, Aiden. Um, and so I'm wondering if like, you know, style of coffee choice, whether you're a latte drinker <laughs> or a uh, macchiato, <laughs> they're kind of interesting uh, traits. But can you tell us then, um, and we want to get the listeners uh, involved in this too. So um, for our listeners, go to the show notes and you'll be able to find the link uh, to make your own pick and see if you can beat the machine. Um, and I urge you to so that enough of us um, are competitive so that I don't lose my job. Uh, but Aiden, can you talk us through the top three predictions uh, for the men and for the women? Uh, and I have just seen these come through, but Joel has not yet. And so I want to see uh, like a live reaction to this one. Mm, mm. Yeah, so in the women's uh, top three, we've got, um, I guess, what you'd call a, uh, a Dutch clean sweep. Uh, so you have uh, Mariana Voss, uh, we've got Annemiek van Vluten, and you have Demi Bollering. Uh, okay. One, two, and three. And Mariana came out at 42% probability of a place. Um, Annemiek was uh, 22 and uh, Demi was 18 percent. Now there were some others oh. very close. So just, just to be clear, um, um, Elisa Longabogini was at 17 yep. percent, 
Alisa Balsamo was at 15%. So there's not a big spread right in that top five to top top 10. Um, and the lowest of that top 10 was Amanda Spratt, unfortunately. Oh, no. Australian, not Spratty um, blue shoes, no. 5.45%. <laughs> but still in the top 10. Still in the top 10, yeah. You've got to take yeah. that, Charles. Still in the top 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in the men's, um, I guess not much of a surprise, but, but the scale of it was incredible for us, was um, Walt Bonart. And he was at seventy four percent, which you rip Kate's mate <laughs> Wout Van Art. Okay, seventy four percent. Yeah, yep. but this one you'll love. So Bling, Michael Matthews, fifty five percent. Fifty five, not yes. bad. Yes, go your good bad. thing. Like I was blown. No offense to Bling, but I was blown away by that number. And when it was, he also came in, I think fifth or sixth in our generalized model. So he's right up yep. there. He's right up there. And then third by a long distance at 8% was uh, Matthew Van der Poel. And then, okay. like I said, there was a long tail um, that sort of uh, for the remainder of the riders. How interesting. This is so fascinating. So in the women's, a slightly new look Dutch trident uh, and, and Spratty, shoes, <laughs> Spratty Blue Shoes getting into oh, the top 10. You and your 10. Dutch trident, Joel, you just, you, you can't help yourself. <laughs> it's a fluid trident, it is. But uh, I'm really interested in Vanderpool getting in, in third place there with eight. So wh- what's the gap? Like that 8% is, uh, you know, fourth and onwards, is that pretty close to that sort of number? Or is yeah, it a big so, gap yeah, for so him as well? Got, yeah, so another interesting left field one was Keegan Swenson. You know, so okay. the, uh, he's the CX crossover rider who's obviously super strong, but he was the next at 6%. And then you had 4, 4, 2, 2, 1. So it really fell off a cliff. Like, you know, the, the sort of the lineup for what went out on this was very, very strong. I'm fascinated by the gaps. Yeah, yeah, big gaps. And, and I guess yeah. if you think about the, you know, the nature of the course and what went out, um, and you could also argue that there's a team aspect to this because the way the model's built is very much. Um, output based so it's really around the results the riders have achieved it's not input based so you know we don't take a look at physiology for example we know Matthew van der Poel's been training really well so you know we don't know how he's going to roll up to the start line necessarily um but with what went up with the Belgian team he's got a powerhouse around him and he has had all season between that and his team you know his job of business um but yeah I was really surprised by just how strong it was for him it's amazing what you can glean uh, from data, uh, from the stats you refer to, and app as well to crunch those numbers that way. It's a really, really uh, fascinating system in place, and we'll look forward to seeing how it plays out. Uh, Aidan Heck, CEO for Australia, CEO for Decision Inc. I, I think you've lived up to the "Do Great with Data" slogan, and really appreciate you coming onto the Wheelhouse Podcast. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Joel. I want to thank uh, Click. We've been using their model to build this, um, so they've been very accommodating. And I also want to thank Pro Cycling Stats, who've been amazing. Bert Lip, he's a, he's a legend. He's been providing us with all the data at the back end of it. Um, and look, I wish all of the riders the best of luck. I just want to put a caveat to this. It is mm-hmm. cycling. Anything can happen. I mean, look at the men's TT this week. I mean, I, yes. wouldn't, I, don't, I don't want to go backwards and try and predict that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've done our best to try and give a running start of what we think is going to be the winners. And we hope everyone participates and puts their uh, selections in. We'd love to give some prizes away if someone beats us. I'd love to see what the percentage was for FOSS. That would have been uh, pretty interesting. I'm guessing yeah. Yeah. maybe I'm... a little low. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I, I got to tell you, I was tempted to run Caleb Ewan through the machine um, yeah. last night just to see. Just to but I thought, oh, no, I don't want to start that argument. I don't want to start that argument. <laughs>
They would have stirred no. the pot. Uh, oh, just for we, me, uh, if you don't we mind, Aiden. you to do it. I've been <laughs> yes. trying to coax Kate into making a comeback. So can you put Kate through the machine for us as well and just get us a percentage there? And I'm, I'm not giving up on Kate getting back on the bike. <laughs> Mate, thanks, uh, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Kate. Well, I reckon my job's pretty safe for now, Joel. Uh, but the data thing is so interesting. Speaking of which, somebody who is head in the uh, deep diving into the data, didn't have a great result in Wollongong, I might add, is Filippo Garner. He was the outgoing world champion. We had pretty high expectations for him, uh, but it was it was no cigar. But he's going for the hour record soon. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just focusing on that. Oh, as you would, as you would. It's look, it, it's fascinating how that that all came unstuck in Wollongong. I'm really interested by this story, Kate Bates, because Giro organisers have have spotted a bit of a glitch here. It's it's scheduled for October the eighth, which is of course the same day of the Giro di Lombardia, the last monument classic of the year. So they're like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? This is massive. The hour record attempt is huge. It only fell, I think, last month. It's fifty five. Point five four eight kilometers from Dan Bigham. This is a big event, and they're going no, 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 no. You can't clash with a classic like that. What's the story? What? How does this sort of thing happen? This is a scheduling kerfuffle. I know. I mean, Ineos knew about this. Obviously, it's a monument. It's been around for over a hundred years. So I don't know why they didn't consider the PR around that, or maybe that's the whole point. Uh, maybe they're trying to take a little bit of focus off a race that they're not particularly focused on at all mm. um, and give themselves a big way to finish the season. I don't know. It seems like a bit of an anomaly, but uh, I think it's almost even funnier that RCS, the organisers um, of the Giro, which incidentally that's also River City Studios where, we, say, where yeah. our bunker is. <laughs> I was kind of a bit confused when I said that, but yeah. no, no, no. Uh, same, 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 um, same acronym there. I'm surprised they even did anything with it. Um, rather than just get annoyed by it but let it go. But to come out and officially ask for a change, Mm. if anything, they're just throwing more focus and light on what Ghana's trying to achieve. It's like guerrilla marketing from A little bit. Yeah, it's a bit disruptive and a bit sort of, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, this really bothers us. But at the same time, check out what's going on. At the moment, it it, it remains scheduled to go to Grenchen, Switzerland. Oh, my I don't even know how I went then. Grent Grenchen in Switzerland, the velodrome. I should just say, head to the ve- head to a velodrome in Switzerland to have a crack at Dan <laughs> Bigham's fifty-five point five four eight. That will be extraordinary to watch. I hope they work it out. You want your best riders, obviously, at the biggest races. So hopefully they can get that sorted. But wow, I I, I wonder about Garner having a go at this. And if yeah, his head wasn't quite in Wollongong because it wasn't his day in the time trial. Now speaking of not someone's day i love this this is what i love about the sport so much i love the brutal honesty and the rawness and the reality of these riders now your mate your very good mate arnameek van vloten who who made our list for the time trial elite women's yet tick her off she'll be there wasn't there didn't do the best (laughs) didn't have the best day in the saddle on the back of it showed a bit of classic dutch passion uh in a post tt interview take a listen how was this tt for you? Uh, shit. <laughs> See what happened. <laughs> uh, I couldn't push the power I wanted to push, so uh, I underperformed today uh, with my power. 
yeah, that sometimes time trial you don't have your day, and then it's a long day uh, out there, 34 kilometers uh, already suffering. But if you don't believe that you have the reward in the end, it uh, will become even harder. Love that. I love that so much. You know, I spend a lot of time working in other sports, Kate, and the amount of sort of no frills manufactured media you get. Oh, you know, it's a game of two halves and the boys just do what they can. And at the end of the day, we'll just think about next week. <laughs> so you ne never do you hear, how'd you go? Shit. Shit. <laughs> I loved that it. That cracks me up too. I, look, you know, I want to get a bit serious about this for a second though, Joel, because we have the eight nations tipping competition. <gasps> uh, we are participating again. Thanks to uh, Mark Pryor on Twitter who organises that. I put in an entrance for myself. Um, I put one in for the wheelhouse. I noticed, by the way, didn't go unnoticed uh, that you didn't put your own individual one in, but that's all right. I'm terrified. Both I just wanted to go on yours. Yeah. <laughs> both the wheelhouse and me, we chose Annemiek van Vloten. Yeah. So on behalf of us, her performance was shit. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that. Don't you dare clip that up. Please, please, please. Uh... This is where I have to be very careful. No. It was a really average performance from okay. her, though. But some days you're the hammer, some days you're the nail. Like, it happens. And when you've won so much like her, uh, it's disappointing, but it doesn't define you. People will have forgotten it by the weekend. Mm. Uh, she won't have, though. It'll add more fuel to the fire. So I think that's even more dangerous uh, for her. And maybe the Dutch Trident, like Aiden was talking about, uh, Joel, maybe a Dutch Trident will come good. Yeah, well... Uh... Dutch tried it. I need to review the weapon. It may, it may be a mace or something. Something with more. <laughs> we need more prongs. I need uh, like. I a, don't a even scythe. know if there was. Is there some historical reference to the Netherlands and a trident? Because I'm just missing the connection there. Uh, look, I'm so glad you asked me this on air because I totally prepared for this question, <laughs> uh, and I'm going to just go out and say yes, Kate. Yes, there is. You should look it up. Uh, it's fascinating yes. reading. Uh, find it in our show notes. Yeah, Just definitely. Uh, don't no. be surprised if you don't find it. <laughs> I'm very, very sorry. I didn't select the team too. I should say I was scared. I was nervous. I saw your team and I was like, I just don't want to put myself under that sort of searing spotlight pressure. I'll, I'll just go with Kate's team. I really like the team that Kate picked. Um, I know that's an awful excuse. Now, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, now we spoke about this a lot. They didn't listen to us. Okay. I was listening to something earlier and they were saying a lot of the riders are frightened of the pies in Australia and they were actually thinking that the riders were talking about pies. They're not talking about pies. <laughs> they're not they're not frightened what? of pastry. No. What do you They're frightened of <laughs> Do they pies. think that there are fans on the uh, balconies hurling pastries? The pie at throwing the riders? as they go up Campbell but, Street. Although yeah. I tell you what, a, a hot pastry pie in the face it hasn't been cooled that is a weapon <laughs> a face full of dropped pie yes, yeah a face full of dropped pie the magpies <laughs> though the actual pies have been causing as expected and look don't want to make a big deal of it but we only said it 400 times on the wheelhouse podcast uci so thanks for paying attention they have been causing a bit of havoc now i love this grace brown came out and said yeah yeah, yeah. Look, they don't they don't just single out people from other countries. Uh, Aussies get get copped too. I was getting hammered. Remco, Remco comes out and says, "Oh, this is an Australia thing, right?" Oh, okay. Thanks for the heads up. And I'm actually terrified of these birds. And he's not alone. <laughs> 
No, they. He said they want blood. Yes, Remco, <laughs> they do. They do. Welcome to Australia. They were like they had all read their Lonely Planet before they came, yeah. and they thought spiders, snakes. That's fine. Worst we'll cop is a wallaby jumping out when we're on the roads. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, keep yeah, our yeah. eyes on from that. Don't ride around dusk and dawn. Like they were all over it. You know, don't go to Wolf Creek. Um, even if John Jarrett is from Wollongong. Yeah. But no, the magpies, they've been copying it left, right and centre. Every single time I go onto social media, I find another athlete. Uh, it's almost like it's a little bit of fun for them now to see if they can catch it on video. Mm. Um, but our own Merksy, oh, yeah. uh, Joel, this? I unmasked him last. I, I, I'm go- I think the time will come where... I unmask him, but for now we'll go with Merksy. Uh, he got swooped as well. He copped it big time. And being a professional, a professional producer, camera operator, award winner, guess what he did? He didn't think he about saving indeed. his own life. He thought about shooting the event. He thought about filming. He framed it up. And you can head to our socials to have a look at Merksy, the sheer terror on his face. But... The steady hand of the camera arm uh, bringing all the pictures as the birds do what they do. And I love how a lot of the writers are like, oh, it's an Australia thing. And as Australians, we traditionally play this role. It's like, yeah, look, yeah, when you come to Australia, you just got to be tough and there's crocodiles in the background, <laughs> backyard and all that. It's fine. It's all good. With magpies, we're like, yeah, no, they're, they're awful and terrifying and we all hate them and they're, yeah, they give all of us nightmares. So we're all in this together. Yeah, we're all in this together. When I first saw um, Merxie's magpie tape, Joel, um, He's got a beautiful face and I thought, don't get his face. But I'm happy to report that his face remained untouched by the end of that ordeal. Yep. Uh, even even if he was slightly terrified and even if Remco and uh, Grace Brown are, are going home with little dents in their helmets as well. It'll be interesting yeah. though. When, Welcome when... to our shores. Yeah, exactly. Welcome <laughs> to Australia. And when we see the, the elite road races, if, if it plays any kind of role being closest to the finish, a bit of a hot spot, all of that. Be fascinating. I just want to check because you guys are on the ground in Wollongong for the road races. I'm just wondering, will you be on the start line handing out um, wheelhouse logoed uh, zip ties for helmets? Yes. Or is that the plan? Yeah, I'm going to be wearing a Borat style mankini uh, wheelhouse edition <laughs> yes. of that. And I hope it's in yeah the the wheelhouse colours at least. Oh yes, it is. It's the orangey sort of oh, tinge, and I'll be throwing them like frisbees, so they'll be little wheelhouse things. And and as the peloton comes past, I'll throw them and. If my aim is to get one to stick onto Pog's um, suit as well, if I can, or get one caught in the spokes. Helmet. Go for the helmet. Okay. Do, do, do the magpie. Go for the head. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, I'm thinking your accreditation might get withdrawn, but um, you oh, know, no, don't let's mention that to on. anyone. It'll be an on the day thing. We'll see what happens. Uh, oh, just our secret. All right. Yeah, yeah. The Wheelhouse Podcast. Now, your mate, my mate, I'm going to say my mate as well, Spratty Blue Shoes, uh, a little bit of moving and shaking before heading to Wollongong, I hear. Yes. So apparently the Aussie team, because they're under such strict COVID bubble uh, within the hotel and within the camp, the athletes aren't coming in until uh, three days or two days before their event, but they're wanting to fly to Australia a lot earlier. And it's given uh, riders like Sarah Roy and Amanda Spratt a chance to go home, see their family before they come into camp. Uh, So Spratty tells us that she has been club racing uh, in Penrith with her local club, uh, jo- just joined in a, a lazy A-grade criterium, Joel. <laughs> I reckon they'd be a little bit uh, terrified when she rocked up uh, with, her, with her team kit on and they yeah. were like, oh, really? Yeah, just really? a bit. Yeah. 
I wonder if she wore the Aussie uh, kit, but, the, the sharp looking Aussie kit as well. I, I believe she wore her bike exchange uh, kit, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's pretty cool and it shows uh, how down to earth she is. I love it? that. She'll have a very big, not a long drive from Penrith to the Gong. Yeah. Uh, so I reckon that she'll have an entire Spready Blue Shoes corner dedicated to her. <laughs> There's another job for uh, you to go and find that. In my mankini. Go yeah, find, go, sure. go find spready blue shoes corner joel yeah lock it in that's <laughs> happening I, I love how she's like oh, i could wear my australian kit but i don't want to in- intimidate the amateurs i'll just wear my bike exchange pro kit instead that, yeah. that, that'll be much yeah. much yeah. nicer for so everyone thoughtful of her <laughs> let's stay uh, on on women doing amazing things now i i need to mention this to finish us off today this is extraordinary we were talking about tobias fuss and that foss and that in- incredible effort in the elite time trial it was still a close-ish field though this this is extraordinary. In the junior women's time trial, she was the, the favourite. Zoe Backstead was one minute 35 seconds clear of her nearest opponent. What What is that about? Yeah, that's like brain explosion emoji right there. She was second last year and junior world champion in the road race last year. The two years before that, her older sister, Eleanor, uh, got two bronze medals in the time trial, but they come from absolute cycling royalty. So her father is Magnus Backstead, uh, who won Paris-Roubaix in 2004, I think. And uh, her mum is Megan Hughes, uh, who was a rider for Wales, which is why they ride for Great Britain, the Backsteads, yeah. uh, where Magnus was from Sweden. And, and she was an incredible athlete herself, but she was terrifying, Joel. Like, she was so good, but she had this look that just seared through you uh, that was quite scary. And uh, I reckon that these girls have just got the most incredible guidance and support. They are setting the women's scene, the whole pro scene um, on fire at the moment. So it's really cool. And at the end, um, sicko, she said it was fun. Yeah, All I the saw other girls that, are yeah. literally <laughs> like there's footage of the other girls lying on the ground, yeah. not able to get up because they've ex- expended so much effort. And she was like, oh, that was really fun. Yeah. Thought, right. I know people like that when you do exercise and you finish this intense session, then they're like, they come up and you're just exhausted and they're like, all right, so when are we getting started? <laughs> that kind of thing. It was that. And you know what? I, the, 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 again, the future. We spoke about Tarling. We spoke about Mackenzie Backstead, her sister. It, it's ominous. It's almost ominous. These, these athletes are, are getting better and better and better. It is. But what's really cool is to come in on the ground level of their development, to see them at juniors. And that's what we get to do here. We get to be really familiar with the juniors. And then when they're winning Tour de France's Paris-Roubaix, we get to be like, oh, yeah, I remember when they were 17. And it brings you on the journey with it. Um, and so I think that that's um, really cool. And, and Zoe Backstead, what a character. I think oh, we'll see more from her in the road races. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, very inspiring work so far. Plenty more to come at the Wollongong World Championships, including a live edition of the Wheelhouse podcast. Can't wait to do that. Kate Bates, wherever you are, thanks for dialing in. Thank you. Go get on a plane, Joel, because I uh, can't wait to have the Wheelhouse team on the ground in Wollongong with me. I was going to ride down. I, I was going to, to get the black chairs kit on, but I thought, no, better not. Better not. Don't want to sweat up the chamois uh, this early in its life. Kate Bates, always a pleasure. I'll see you very soon. See you soon. This is the Wheelhouse podcast. Easily digestible, mostly factual. Thanks for tuning in. The Wheelhouse is produced by River City Studios for Listener. Executive produced by Luke Mears and the Mysterious Merxie. 
It's written and hosted by Kate Bates and me, Joel Spreadburn. 